lost the train I'll never forget the trick it was played And me for Sandy Lane Says he, my job when you get up to the tooth Where ye for Katie Bain Malone She bites at number 80 Street and Glasgow When I resolved to leave Did you notice, Simon, as we came into Kilmarnock It said, welcome to Kilmarnock Scotland's most improved town uh, I didn't notice that, no yeah, it was on the road sign, and I thought, I like that, because there can only be one best, can't there? One best individual or one best team, either subjectively or objectively. Mm. But everyone can improve. I mean, I suppose there can be only one most improved, but everyone can improve, can't they? Anything. Or everything. I think that's quite a nice ethos. Did you see any signs of improvement? What, in myself today? I don't know, really. I'm gradual decline, it felt like, today. It was a tough day in the saddle, that. Third, almost 100-kilometre ride in a row. Long, long time since I've done that. Probably talking 11, 10, 11 years since I last went on some sort of training camp. But uh, when we were in Kilmarnock, Sam went off to buy the best pies in Scotland, the Killy Pie, made by Brownings, who sponsor Kilmarnock Football Club. And Simon, you've been slaving away in the kitchen here at our Airbnb in Port Glasgow. A stunning Airbnb in Port Glasgow. I mean, quite. If you had to describe loft apartment, this would, in, in a kind of an old industrial building that's been renovated and upgraded and has kept a lot of the original features like the brickwork on the ceiling there. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's the big high windows, the views over the water behind us and in fact, well, always round. It's an impressive Airbnb, isn't it? It really is. Look, I mean, look at at the ceiling, brick ceiling, arched. Uh, It it makes me wonder what... what industry it used to be over here well it's obviously shipyard based but the offices i don't know shipping docking yeah it'll be something like that won't it um the rope works it's called the building so that might be a clue but the key is the killy pie how does it shape up well gordon gordon ramsay over there is um i mean you you've got the oven going Cooking-wise, yeah, let, let me talk you through it. I mean, I I prepared everything. Uh, what I did, <laughs> I put things in the oven so they'd come out brilliantly on time. But initially, uh, as you pointed out quite rightly, I didn't do that. I put the pies in. I got excited. I put the pies in before looking at how long the chips might take to cook and... And you pointed out vegetables don't take long either. I got it all a bit back to front, but I've channeled my inner Gordon Ramsay, got it all prepared and in order, and here we are, piping hot plate of food with a, a sort of centerpiece of a killy pie. Well, the killy pie is a meat pie, isn't it? And they do do a vegetarian version, actually. Lovely, um, sort of crispy, crumbly pastry. I'm going to give it a little taste test. Um, I do love a football pie and as I said earlier at Morton I was I was being regaled with um, stories of a doner kebab pie I mean even for me that's too far but let's see what the killy pie tastes like
Oh yeah. It's a cut above your ordinary kind of beef steak pie, isn't it? There's something in there. There's a lot in there, I'd say. What it's is dense. it? It's, it is dense, yeah, it's dense. Hmm. Well, pastry is good. Hmm. Pastry is good. And Brownings have got, well, they've got shops all over Kilmarnock, haven't they? Sponsor the football team, as I said. And, um, well, yeah. It, it, it's a good pie, that's got to be said. I feel like they should have spread far and wide more. Maybe they will after this. I know that one thing that's an absolute winner with podcast listeners is the sound of people eating. Cutlery clanking, (laughs) chewing, you know, in general. We've we've had some shockers on the podcast in the past. There was a time when Daniel and Richard were at the Giro eating crisps while recording um, with their pre uh, dinner drinks. There was also a time when we were at the Tour de France in Le, uh, Le Mans Saint-Michel and I ordered the moule. So there was just the clanking and cracking of mussel shells on a big bowl. As I say, went down brilliantly with the listeners, especially those using headphones. I think they particularly enjoy it. <laughs> so perhaps we should uh, enjoy our dinner and uh, look forward to stage five tomorrow the first of the big football ground stages because i think we've got four football grounds to visit in glasgow the forecast tomorrow is not good that siren even is uh, quite foreboding isn't it in the distance uh, the forecast is for s- pretty much constant what was the percentage chance of rain well on the bbc's website 100 percent chance of rain all through the day from from nine so it's not even as if we can go early and get an hour or two under our wheels and then the rain will set in it looks like it's going to be set in when we get up and it will rain all day we're going to need the mothership tomorrow aren't we we are we are going to need the mothership yeah with uh, warm jackets um but i'm still optimistic we've got over the three long days of riding we've we've cracked them um, at least in terms of distance, it's not as daunting over the next few days. So if we can get through the next couple of days of bad weather, the sunshine might come out on Thursday, ready for our ride across to Edinburgh. The Scottish FA Cup fourth round. Brecon City nil. Dundee United one. Clyde Bank against Burnian as a late kickoff. Dundee one. Meadowbank Thistle one. Hamilton Academical 1, Motherwell 2. The Tour de Course is sponsored by Super Sapiens. The system of continuous glucose monitoring is helping keep Lionel in his performance zone as he tackles the beautiful game on two wheels. Use Super Sapiens to unlock your potential and fine-tune your fueling strategy for better results. Find out more at supersapiens.com. Morning, morning. Is this the the porridge going on? We were just talking about Lizzie's advice about the weather not looking as bad as it looks. (laughs) You know, I thought exactly that at about five this morning when the rain's just beating on the windowsill all night, like big, loud, big, globby drops of rain. It's heavy, heavy, hard rain, isn't it? That's the cause of... (laughs) 
well, quite a few trips to the loo just because the, the sound of the water all night <laughs> just made me need to go all night. Oh, dear. It's, it's, it's wet out, isn't it? We're, we're, we're just going to get wet. That's just it. I mean, we'll talk about your riding, I think, because I need a bit of inspiration today. The, I definitely feel tireder this morning getting up knowing the weather's bad than I did yesterday morning. That's just mental, isn't it? it it's just the mental... The, it, it is what it is. <laughs> the cycling cliche. It is what it is. It's a game of two halves. Well, it's a ride of that three thirds. Ride of three thirds, isn't it, today? Dumbarton, uh, St Mirren in Paisley, and then into Glasgow for Glasgow Rangers and Partick Thistle. Um, but the forecast, much to my disappointment, is not wrong. It's 100% rain <laughs> today. Well, we've got some porridge oats made in Scotland with the, the sort of the man holding the shot put to inspire us. He doesn't look like he'd be put off by a bit of rain, does he? He doesn't, does he? He looks strong. He looks strong. <laughs> he looks stronger than I feel. His arms are approximately three... Well, his arms are about probably bigger than my legs <laughs> can he pedal with them though that's the, that's the question um, I don't think we need to put ourselves under a great deal of pressure time wise do we let's get ourselves sorted out um, have a nice warm breakfast of, of porridge and um, are you making it with m water or milk here well I, I use coconut milk at home with porridge oh. are you prepared to try it yes yeah. I am that's, that sounds good um, of course, in Scotland, very popular just to have porridge with salt, so it's savoury. Oh, yeah. But I'm not prepared to make that myself without knowing how it's done. It's bound to be done no. in a certain... Probably not. They probably don't grow coconuts in Scotland, do they? Well, I don't know, actually. I wouldn't have thought so, to be honest. Why am I saying I don't know? I wouldn't have thought so, looking out at the rain. I think coconuts require us quite a warm... Um, dry climate works well with porridge um, but it's just layer up I guess layer up and um, hope the seal holds is there anything else Lizzie said about wet weather riding no I imagine well she actually said put your rain jacket on from the start she said uh in a message last night, she said she's sometimes a bit too stubborn for that and doesn't put it on until the right... But no, we're soft southerners, aren't we? We're shaking our heads here. Rain jackets on from the very beginning. I mean, everything we've got, I think, yeah. today. No need to show the sponsors today. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is... Uh, Rich, oh, fuck. Oh... It's just auto it's just automatic. Because I was thinking about him, I was thinking the the initial whatever it was that has got us through the first few days, adrenaline or whatever, whatever it was, um, worn off a little bit.
We're in our loft apartment Airbnb in Port Glasgow, watching the rain lash on the windows and delaying the inevitable, postponing the moment where we have to step outside into the wind and the rain, sitting around the large dining table, enjoying a warm cup of coffee and some porridge and chatting and inevitably the subject of Simon's cutaleophobia or more precisely his dislike of big spoons came up as did memories of a few of his previous bikepacking adventures. What's up, Simon? What's up? I've got a square mug lying on. I don't know where to put my lips. <laughs> Not the corner? Is that, Does no, it slop it's, out? It seeps out either side there. I've tried that. And then if you go along the middle of, the, of one of the straights, it come, both, again comes out of either side. Look, watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you've, managed, you've done well yeah, there. I did all right there, You've done well there. I'm more stunned by the fact that you ate your porridge with a big spoon. Well, I thought it's not that big. It's got a, it's got a quite a thick shaft, and the actual head isn't too bad and not too clanky. And I was very careful on on entry that it didn't clang around in my teeth too much. But um, just just going back to my spoon thing. And talking about our dear friend Richard, uh, we didn't talk to each other a great deal because we didn't have to. And, you know, I, I saw him at Grand Tours and things. But we'd have the occasional bit of correspondence whereby it, I, it's nice that he thought of me every time he'd um, have a dessert or eat anything with a big spoon. He'd, he'd send me a picture of him eating or, or just the big spoon, uh, a picture. And... Um, it was that, no words, just the big spoon. And then, as as you may know from past podcasts over the years, Richard wasn't keen on dogs being in restaurants. So I'd just respond with a, a picture of a dog in a restaurant, hopefully on someone's lap, near as near to the plate as possible. And that, that would be the sort of extent of our our messaging. And it was enough, and it was affectionate and just lovely, really. Yeah, and then the nature of friendship, isn't it? That sometimes you don't need any words; you just need to take the Mickey out of somebody's spoonophobia. Your big, big spoon, your fear of big spoons. Would you go that far? Obviously not. You've overcome it a bit there. That's quite. I would say that's a medium-sized spoon. But you prefer to eat that with a teaspoon, would you? Well, I think it's a lot to do with having to summon up some strength today, and. Looking at the weather, I thought, get myself off to a flying start, overcome one of my fears immediately at the breakfast table. No one's watching or nothing. I have cleared out the room, also that you can get to be the big spoon. Well, stage five, Simon. Are you looking at my waterproof trousers? I am. I'm thinking... A, they look uncool. B, I wish I had some. They they do look uncool. I should stress, they're, they're not MAPS waterproof trousers. They're, they're a little bit baggy. They are for cycling, but they're perhaps not for um, road cycling. But, but I'm told that they're waterproof. It was a little tip from James Hayden. Self-preservation comes first. And I'm looking through all my kit bag, and I have brought a lot of kit, and there's nothing that I want to risk 
you know, getting... Because we're going to be on urban roads, aren't we? They're going to be a bit greasy and mucky and we're going to get covered in that kind of stuff. And I want to try and preserve all my nice kit if I can. So I figure this is the best way. Once my overshoes are on over the top, that will stop the slightly baggy bit at the bottom what getting caught. My nice kit? We'll get you some more nice kit, Simon. <laughs> we'll work that out. Don't worry. Sorry. Me, me, I'm me. I'm pretty sure I... I I said about the waterproof trousers, and I've not brought any. It was your idea. I bought them last year, and I couldn't actually fit into them. I couldn't get the button done up at the top. Wow. And now they feel a bit loose, so that's quite a morale boost, I must say. Stage five, though, Simon. This is the middle day of the tour, or of this part of the Tour de Cosse. Uh, Four stages down, and then after today, four more stages to go. When I look at the route from the beginning the bit i was most worried about was those three back-to-back days 100 kilometers give or take all right we didn't actually bust the three-figure barrier but uh, near enough but 100k ride back to back to back something i've not done for a long time and i think i was most worried about yesterday but actually the danger of that is thinking that suddenly today tomorrow thursday are going to be a walk in the park and they're, they're not they're still going to be three and a bit hour rides We've got a lot of logistical tricky, trickiness. Yeah. yeah, trickiness. <coughs> and, you know, riding round and across Glasgow today and tomorrow is going to put us to the test. It's going to put the hammerhead to the test. You know, the yellow line has not had to cope with anything as technical as this. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing how that goes. Shoot, uh, shoot that arrière du plateau. Cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this series, the Tour de Cosse, is sponsored by the Hammerhead Carew 2. And if you're dreaming of adventures and the chance to explore new, unknown paths, I can definitely recommend the Carew 2. Because as you've heard, it guided us from A to Z every day without a hitch. Even when we weren't on the roads and on our days crisscrossing Glasgow, we were on the National Cycle Route a lot of the time. Quite a lot of that was old canal paths and little cut-throughs and snickets. Some of it was even a little bit off-road, and yet the Karoo 2's routing worked absolutely seamlessly. If you would like to get a Karoo 2, you can also get a free heart rate monitor for a limited time. Visit hammerhead.io and use the promo code CYCLE at checkout. So go to hammerhead.io, add the Karoo 2 and the heart rate monitor to your shopping cart, and then when you check out, use the promo code CYCLE. We're on quite a lot of cycle path, which will be, I think, good for morale, keep us off any busy roads. And I think just safety first, isn't it? Any time we're in doubt, we'll just, if we get split up at traffic lights or whatever, just take our time to regroup the other side. Try and ride out a bit so we're not in the gutter, especially if there's puddles. Got to be careful that uh, you know we don't hit something that we can't see because it's a pothole filled with water. But in terms of back-to-back riding, I don't know how you feel going into stage five how are the legs um we we both involuntarily did a sort of squat lunge there and i must say my my thighs suddenly oh i actually feel better on the bike than off the bike we've been we've said the last couple of days we've set off there's there's a few bits of faff involved in getting actually on the bike but the second you get take a, a, a few turns of the pedal you think ah your shoulders drop and you just think this is what it's all about i'm i'm 
rolling along with my friend. We're exploring, we're having an adventure, and all the, all the little niggly bits that you sort of worry about prior to getting on the bike sort of vanish. A couple of days ago, I questioned your mental resilience when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, in hindsight, unfairly, so I want to correct the record there, because you've done some really big and impressive rides. I mean, for a start, you've done Land's End to John O'Groats. Yeah, that was, I think, 2011. Um, my wife knows a guy that runs a catering company, and they were doing the catering for the... The, a Land's End to John O'Groats ride, an, an organised thing. And she just said, oh, you might like to do that. So I did do it. Um, I was... It was a struggle. I was I was riding with some very experienced uh, old boys that were just diesel engines and they knew what long ride, day-to-day, back-to-back riding was all about. And I think I was a bit rabbit in the headlights and would burst off and at the beginning of the day and then... It was a bit, um, what are those, what are the, what's the cartoon where the thing, Beaker, no, not Beaker. Me, me, oh, Roadrunner. Roadrunner, yeah. He gets, kept, keeps getting caught up, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah, that's what it So like. slow and steady wins the race, really, when it comes to this sort of riding. Absolutely. What kind of tips did you pick up on that first uh, Land's End to John O'Groats? And, and how long did it take? So what sort of distances were you doing each day? It was a it was a scenic route, so it wasn't by no means direct. I think um, we went into the Lake District, into Wales, uh, Mendips. It was beautiful. Um, tip wise, it wasn't ideal in a sharing a tent. I wasn't that keen on sharing a tent with a random stranger. He was a nice guy, but he was a snorer. And at the end of the day, you need your own little bit of space, don't you, really? You do. Um, the catering was great. They fueled you up perfectly every day. But then snuggling up next to Jeff <laughs> made, made it a bit more tricky. Um, no, it was, it, was, it was brilliant. I got through it. I was quite ill at the end of it, actually, because um, it, was, it was something I'd never, never taken on before. Obviously, didn't train properly just went straight into it but it gave me the bug for this kind of backpacking and adventure type of cycling really and then for your 40th birthday you decided to ride from Tring in your which is your hometown now to Tromso in Norway the north of Norway why were you, were you just looking at the map of Europe for towns that began with a T and an R to make a Tring to Tromso or Tring to Trondheim I suppose <coughs> you could have done or Tring to Hmm, struggling a bit now. But I'm sure the <laughs> listeners are screaming out loads of towns and cities that begin TR. But what was the thinking behind that? So um, my uncle, who's been a bit of an inspiration to me throughout my life, really. Uh, he's, he's a bit of an ex- adventurer. He now lives in the south of France. Uh, he's married to a f- lovely French lady, my auntie, obviously. And he, he always tells me about stories of things he did in his youth and... One of them was um, do a quite a fast marathon time, so I thought I need to beat that. Which was? He, he did a, a 3.27, and I managed after, on my fourth attempt to get under that, uh, at the Edinburgh Marathon, which, between you and me, Lionel, is one of the flattest marathons, which I secretly selected for that reason. 
Um, but no, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. You, you know, <laughs> s- smart strategy and tactics, all part of anything when it comes to sport, isn't it? It, yeah. Well, it it it, it did did the trick anyway. Um, but he um, he once guided a school group to the Arctic Circle in the sixties. Wow. Um, he was a teacher. And that was, you know, not a trip to Western Supermare or to the, to York or something. He was he was a proper adventurer for, for his school in North London. Took a took a group of kids up to the Arctic Circle uh, with a couple of other teachers, and just had an amazing experience. So it was a bit of a a nod to that, really. Um, get over the Arctic Circle was was the aim, really, and pick somewhere that, like you said, sounded like began with a TR and after that you did the transatlantic way ride in Ireland which I would have, would have loved to have done and maybe will do after this experience because uh, I'd love to explore Ireland a bit more than I have but on those two rides I mean you mentioned the other day there were moments when you were just sort of weeping at the scale of it all but what what sort of distances were you doing and, and how many hours a day were you spending in the saddle you know at at its peak on those two rides um Tring to Tromso we I I left it a bit late in the summer and it turns out it starts snowing in the Arctic quite well sort of late August early September um so towards the end I was uh, the time was against me and there was dustings of snow on top of the, some of the mountains um I was chalking up 200 plus kilometers a day um my average probably 150 on overall the whole thing but yeah some some big days in Norway towards the end and um one one particular moment stands out I was approaching Trondheim I think I'd taken a wrong turn I'd gone up a a a gravelly path I thought I was on I'd I'd spotted a, a a shortcut of sorts that I thought would take me into the town and uh, hopefully somewhere comfortable to stay but I was probably 100 kilometres away from it. it it was raining very very heavily I was lost it was getting dark I, I was in a, a bit of bother I was I did have a tent with me but putting up a tent in in the wind and the rain wasn't going to be easy I, I had a bit of a, a little cry on the side of the road gathered myself together and I, I knocked on a door of uh, a random house and a stranger and they couldn't speak English but he could see from my facial expression. I, was, I thought you were going to say but my Norwegian was absolutely spot on. <laughs> he took pity on me anyway and he had a little outhouse in his garden. It had a log burner. Oh, he, wow. he put put some logs and got it going, got the fire going. Uh, I, I sort of sat on a, on a little sofa thing, not sure quite what was going to happen, but before I knew it, there was a big bowl of hot soup coming my way. I ended up staying there, uh, <laughs> probably outstaying my welcome a bit, but I was there for three days in the end because it was constant rain. Like, wow. I, I, I think I've shown you the little mm. video clip of the rain. It was pouring down and there was just no point because I was I was being looked after so well I and uh yeah I stuck around 
Brilliant. Sat there in the poor little Norwegians just sitting in their lounge thinking, when's he going to go? When's he going to go? Did you get to see the Northern Lights? Because that was part of the point, wasn't it? I did, actually, yeah. Um, amazing. Just, uh, I think I was up, up towards Bodo area. And, yeah, I think it was... It wasn't supposed to happen at that time of year, I don't think. What, what time of year does it... Yeah, I saw it, and it was incredible, just bouncing around, glittery lights in the sky. It's, it's magical. And, yeah, anyone that... I'd recommend anyone going up that way, just, just for that alone. You know, The scenery is amazing, the people are friendly, but that is something else. You've always been a big... Uh, believer in a bike ride with a purpose and that's something I've probably taken on a bit more lately we yeah just having a reason to go somewhere I mean I've done a couple of crazy rides to go and watch non-league football matches in preparation for this but having a goal at the end does it just focuses the mind of it doesn't it and it does actually help you break it down to one day at a time all I'm thinking of at the moment is get to Dumbarton have a look at the big rock and the castle that overlook the ground I'm looking forward to that and even just thinking positively about it, yeah, the sky is completely grey, but it is a little bit lighter than it was an hour ago, maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe I'm clutching at straws a bit there, but... If you look out of that window, not good for the listeners, obviously, but that is uh, it's highlighted and we can see the Clyde. It doesn't look like it's raining. Look out this window and you look towards the trees, which is sort of darker, you can... You can see the blobs, can't you? It's quite... It's sort of the sort of rain that a child would draw in a picture, isn't it? <laughs> straight lines of... You know, they'd use a blue felt-tip pen and just be unbroken straight lines of rain. But I'm holding Lizzie Banks to this because we're about to step outside and she's, she said... I've, we've pointed this out already, but she said it's never as bad once you get going in the rain. It's never as bad as you think it is. And... Um, that's true. We're hoping that's right, aren't yeah. we? Just to bring this all <clears throat> round full circle, I mean, uh, it's impossible not to see imagery and, and significance in everything, but the fact that your fastest marathon was in Edinburgh, Richard's hometown. Richard had a stint as a, a pretty impressive long-distance runner himself. So there's that. And, of course, your uncle lives in the south of France and completely unconnected, knows Francois Thomasot, knew Francois Thomasot before he knew that you knew Francois Thomasot. So absolutely, it's like these dots all join up and somehow Richard is in the centre. He's dot number one, isn't he? And we're all sort of, you know, the, the other numbered dots. And I guess together we all join up to make a big picture of a buffalo. Oh, I'm proud to be a son of Dumbarton it's a royal sitting on the Clyde It's a gateway to the Highlands and the Hebridean Islands And living here just fills me up with pride Oh, I love to gaze up at Dumbarton Castle As it sits there high atop Dumbarton Rock for it was built in ancient times in the harshest of the climes by those hale and hearty men o'heel and stalled. Science in sport.
Not just the fuel of athletes, but the fuel of champions. From Filippo Ganna to Ethan Hayter, and now Lionel Burney and Simon Gill. The 2022 Tour de Coste champions, admittedly champions by default. Their ride is fueled by science in sport. Their bottles filled to the brim with beta fuel. Their cafe breaks boosted by energy bakes. Get 25% off at scienceinsport.com with the code SISCP25. Finally, we're ready to get on the road. Stage five would take us into the centre of Glasgow. Not a particularly long stage, only 78 kilometres in total, and not particularly hilly either, just a lump on the way out of Port Glasgow as we head up to the Clyde. Nevertheless, a busy day because lots of football grounds on the route. First stop, Dumbarton, before tracing our route back again along the Forth and Clyde Canal, crossing over the river to head to Paisley, home of St Mirren. Then it's into the heart of Glasgow to visit Ibrox, home of the mighty Glasgow Rangers. Then Partick Thistle's Fir Hill, and as a bonus on the way, the cricket ground which hosted the first ever football international between Scotland and England 150 years ago. Dumbarton FC, so many things to love about this. It's a new ground. When I was a child, when we were children, Simon, and the Panini sticker album, we used to go down to Hunt's the paper shop in Axley to get the sticker album and then go and spend all our pocket money on the stickers. Hunt's the paper shop was... Uh, sort of at the very top of the sex shop time trial, in fact. It was. It's the, it's the turn, isn't it? Mm. It is opposite, more or less opposite the sex shop that features in the sex shop time trial. <laughs> OK, so I feel the sex shop time trial needs some explanation and clarification here because it's not as seedy as it sounds, I promise. In fact, I had no idea that for many years Simon thought of our childhood races as the sex shop time trial. It only came to light when we were at the Tour de France in 2017, standing on the top of the Col d'Isoire with Richard and Orla. This is a clip from an episode we put out for Friends of the Podcast back in 2017. I was on the, just walking over the, the top, the, a rocky outcrop on the top of the Col d'Isoire just now, and I heard quite a lot of people around, and I just heard this, this booming Irish voice shout out, the sex shop time trial she shouted <laughs> and she was talking to Simon at the time and uh, he said that Lionel could enlighten me on the sex shop time trial has this been has this been broadcast to the public no this is for friends of the podcast uh, although they all every, pretty much everybody on the colleges ward now knows this could be a cunning ruse to get people to sign up because they all know now they all know that such a thing exists <laughs> Now they, want, now they want the explanation, yeah. Well, um, people probably don't know this, but Simon and I grew up two doors down from each other. Simon the photographer. Yeah, and um, I was into cycling, so therefore Simon was into cycling. And uh, we, used to ha- we used to have a stage race around the villages where we lived, and one of the stages was from Kings Langley to Apsley. And in Apsley there was, and I believe still is, uh, uh, an adult store. <laughs> Um, the adult store time trial. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't have the same ring like Never been in, uh, but we did. Doesn't have the same <laughs> ring. <laughs> no, no, I've never been in, but the time trial used to go to the road. You had to turn left at the adult shop and then snake back round and get back on the main road and come back up to the uh, snake back road. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's nothing dodgy about this at all. I mean, 
I'm sure in 1903, Henri de Grange said, right, we're going from the, the, the adult store in Paris to the adult store in Lyon for stage one. No? Lionel, <laughs> you used to then write it up, didn't you? You used to write it up for your, your um, domestic cycling newspaper. I used to make a newspaper about professional cycling and also my own cycling. Yeah, there was a page at the back for, for local results. Um, not with Simon, but with another friend of mine. I once, um, I had a, a jersey which basically was the leader's jersey for one of our stage races. And um, I was wearing it going into the final stage, which was a criterion round the car park at Shendish Golf Club. Uh, but my chain came off and... Um, I was like, stop, stop, you can't attack the leader's jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and he went round and, and won. And, um, yeah, it was, well, there was a, there was a dispute about this. I'd, the, the leader's jersey was white, and I'd wiped all my greasy fingers all over it. And there was a very awkward presentation ceremony in my back garden. Um, we had an old kind of milk crate, which was the podium. And I presented him with the jersey, and he, he stood up onto the podium, and I, I had a bit of a sulk, I must admit, at losing. How old were you? Was this mid, mid-20s? Or? <laughs> no, I'd say sort of 11, 12, that sort of age. I'm loving this little insight into Lionel's little world. It's so sweet. <laughs> So as you can hear, all very innocent. And if you want and you know where to look, you can even ride the Strava Sex Shop Time Trial segment for yourself. See if you can take Simon's record. Who holds the record? Do you hold the record now? You you were going pretty well last year and you went out and did it. And I, I don't know if you remember, but I met you for lunch one day and you said, I followed your little dot right. on our WhatsApp group and it looked to me like you might have been down in sort of the sex shop area and you hopefully presumed that i hadn't been just in the sex shop you worked out pretty quickly that i might have had a little dig at the at the time trial i mean right your time was such that you couldn't have stopped um you couldn't have stopped oh so you're the defending champion okay that gives me something to aim at anyway we used to buy our panini stickers and one thing that sticks in my head from those days dumbarton played at boghead which must be must be on another in another part of town. Dumbarton's current ground is literally in the shadow of the rock. I mean, colloquially, the ground is called the rock. I think it might have a sponsored name now, but it's in the shadow of Dumbarton Castle. There's a very attractive bit of, sort of street art graffiti on the side of the stand there. Intriguingly, an elephant with a castle on its back as the club's badge and. Can you think of another club with an elephant on its badge which has a connection to the cycling podcast? British club. Coventry City have an elephant on their badge and Daniel Freeb, of course, originally supported Coventry City before a big money move to support Arsenal when he moved to London to, well, to study originally uh, at university. Um, I think he might have supported Arsenal before that. I, I, I I don't talk to Daniel about football much really because he always pretends not to know what division Watford are in even when the fixtures say Arsenal's next match is against Watford he doesn't pretends not to know what we're doing um, but during the research for this trip last year I spoke to Daniel Gray uh, an excellent writer very good friend of the podcast not least because we share an agent David Luxton um, is the agent for Daniel Gray and also um, for the cycling podcast, Richard, Daniel and myself. But Daniel Gray is writing 
about football is really worth a look even if you're not a massive football fan because it's it's more about people and communities and sense of place and family and friendship and all of those things and in the course of uh, my conversation with Daniel he mentioned that Dumbarton has a resident poet Stephen Watt and I got in touch with Stephen and well let's hear a little bit of what Stephen thinks about Dumbarton FC's place in the town and the community Initially, it, was, it, it is a voluntary role, Lionel. So it was a proposal that I made to the club. And the intention that I had really, I suppose, was to try and become more connected to my local club, as well as raising their profile, as well as mine. And by doing that, I was looking to contribute poems on their website and their match day programmes um, at their dinner dances, whatever it is that the club feels that poetry can connect to supporters then that was really my intention so I never really had any plans to kind of like interview players or the manager or anything like that at all I really just wanted to kind of focus on what the club was about um, the spirit of Dumbarton what what made it so different and special compared to other clubs and every club will be unique in its own way and every club should have its own poets in residence and um, fortunately for me, Dumbarton um, agreed to this about five years ago. So what is the spirit of Dumbarton? Not just the football club, but the town as well, I guess, because the football club represents a town. It carries its name everywhere it goes. Dumbarton's got a very kind of rich history and obviously we've got a castle looming over the stadium. Um, but I really feel that Glasgow itself, which is the closest large city to us, always kind of runs on that reputation of people make Glasgow. And I think that Dumbarton's got that real kind of strength and character and um, positivity and looking out for one another, which Glasgow has. So I think it's that kind of good nature and goodwill and really just wanting the best for your hometown, uh, which really kind of makes Dumbarton kind of stand out. And um, yeah, long, long may that kind of attitude continue. Writing about Dumbarton for me was just about that blurring of the lines between sport and art and wanting to kind of give give a kind of um, creative like output of, of what is happening around the club. I'm trying not to write about what is happening on the pitch for every game because I'm pretty sure that it could probably become quite samey, especially in Dumbarton's case when that samey is losing week in, week out. But I think that um, when you're writing about the, the people at the reception or on the turnstiles or the ball boys or ball girls or whatever it is that's happening around the club that day that kind of catches my eye, then that's what I want to write about. And I've somehow managed to do it for five years. Now tell me a little bit about the ground, because it must have one of the most stunning backdrops of any football ground in Britain. Yeah, so the CNG System Stadium is located next to Dumbarton Castle and is absolutely stunning. Um, the location is incredible, but I think that I really got to en- enjoy it at its maximum a few weeks back. I was recording a poem for the BBC prior to the Scottish Cup tie against Aberdeen, and we'd noticed that the guys who were building the scaffold were kind of walking across the pitch, which anybody knows you, you don't walk on the grass. It's a, a major no-no. But we thought, well, do you know what? If they're getting away with it, we're going to take a chance. So myself and the, the BBC guy walked onto the, the kind of the goal area, the six-yard box, 
And um, he was just preparing his camera and his microphones, etc. And I got the chance to to stand where one of the goalkeepers would obviously be positioned. And you're looking up to the Kilpatrick Hills and the, the far end of the stadium where most of the fans come in. Uh, you turn to your right, you've got Dumbarton Rock right next to you. It was a beautifully sunny day. Yeah, the, the seagulls and the pigeons up on the floodlights. So you've always got an, an audience there. Um, and the grass, just the, the pitch was just looking emerald. It was it was quite a, quite a, a beautiful scene, and I was really fortunate, I suppose, to be in the position where I got to stand from that point of view. For um, the supporters, however, there's there's one stand, so we're all kind of facing the same way, which is unfortunately with the the castle behind us. But um, there have been known to be supporters have gone up to Barton Rock and been able to watch the games for free up on the, the stone itself. <laughs> so um, using a wee bit of their initiative there. I've, I've kind of made the point earlier in this podcast series that, that a lot of these place names were, um, you know, they're evocative of the sort of Saturday tea times of my own childhood watching the football results. And, and, and I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't picture what Dumbarton or Stenhouse Muir or Cowden Beath would actually look like any more than I could really picture what Her- Hereford or Hartlepool would look like. And yet, and and yet there's a kind of, um, there was a bit more sort of mystery and romance with the Scottish club names. And so tell me what, you know, what is Dumbarton like? I mean, is it in the, in the shadow of Glasgow to a certain degree or is it a place in its own right? Dumbarton itself is a, uh... It's kind of hard without trying to kind of just big it up, Lionel. I think that, I mean, I I know about its history with shipbuilding and whiskey and Polaroid for the cameras. My dad worked there for 24 years. But I think that that whole kind of small town kind of thing about people knowing your your auntie's granny's dog or whatever is quite apparent in Dumbarton. But I do feel that people really look out for one another. I think that... um, there's, there's a, a lot of history here from things such as witches to we've got Overton Bridge where there's been apparent dog suicides. This happened over several years, um, which is just up um, around the back of Dumbarton. Um, we've got um, the BBC studios in Dumbarton where the likes of Still Game and River City are filmed. There's a lot going on, you know, and I, I think that when, as I said, I'm 41 now, when I, when I stop and take a wee step back and look around me I think I probably recognize like the the qualities that this town has I don't mean just obviously like the people that I was speaking about earlier on but when I go walking up on the crags the the hills in Dumbarton you really get a a kind of feel for how how beautiful this town is and and looking across the 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 town itself actually makes you realize it's more than just your memories there's there's a lot happening now in a contemporary a point of view so um yeah i've got a lot of love for the place and i'm not in any rush to leave it i can't let you casually throw in a mention of a dog suicide bridge without asking you a bit more about that that sounds uh in- intriguing yeah so um so overton bridge is um a very very small bridge up next to overton house which is around the milton area of dumbarton and and i can't give you the exact decade when it was first reported but there has been somewhere between 20 to 50 dogs leap off this bridge to their death, which is obviously a, a horrible kind of thing to think about. But I think a lot of people have tried to work out the reasoning. And, you know, was it something paranormal or was it something that um, 
that you could explain in layman's terms. Now, there's been kind of consideration that there's mink beneath the bridge and they get a scent. And when, when a dog jumps up onto a bridge, it doesn't know the depth that's beneath it. Um, there's been kind of various kind of things about them hearing the water running under and being curious and leaping over. Bottom line is, Lionel, that we don't actually know what the correct cancer is. And I didn't know if it was hyperbole or if it was actually something that happened. But um, yeah, a friend's brother, his dog did actually leap off the bridge and it, it managed to survive, um, snapped leg, um, but it did survive. And the fact that we have one person that we know now that it's happened to is kind of justification for us enough that this might actually be a real thing. Of course, I couldn't let Stephen go without asking him whether he would write a poem for us. And so he wrote and recorded a poem for this, the Tour de Cosse. And this is Stephen Watt reading his poem. Often, hometowns are discerned by their idiosyncratic features, the fever of its core, lifeblood and physical factors of its habitat. Our hallmark is elephant-shaped rock, curmudgeonly seagulls whisking with off-kilter Ouija vernacular, a slain gangster rapper ice cream parlour called Biggie Scoops, which subsequently is perpetually padlocked. Discoloured eyes match high-rise flats draped in tricolours, saltires or union jacks, and we hold dear our clean air crags for moments of needed reflection. Like a charcoal drawing, relics of sullied buildings hunch in smears of bingo dust and cinematic smut, bones without a proper burial. Yet despite six miles of dead vessels coursing in townspeople's blood, there's a high street widower handing out single roses in memory of those who live without love. These scarlet petals coat the bricks of our railway station, the nearby Catholic church and the local football club boasts support from Brazilians, Swiss and Japanese. Not to disregard those from Dunfermline, Inverness or Dundee. And the community breathes like river-leaving headwinds, leaping from the dog's suicide bridge, in the wake of the Bruce's footprints, into an abyss yet to learn our name, our people, our spirit. You'll notice that we haven't crossed back over the Clyde yet, let alone reached Ibrox, and that's because Stage 5 is split into two halves, and we'll pick up the journey in the next episode. The Tour de Cosse was recorded by me, Lionel Burney, and Simon Gill. The series was produced by Tom Wally. A big thank you to Sam Slatter, the driver of our faithful broom wagon. Scottish League Premier Division, Aberdeen 2, Kilmarnock 0. Celtic 5, Morton. One. And the United against Motherwell evening kickoff at 7.30. Hibernian nil, Rangers nil. Samira nil, Dundee nil. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.